music can only mean one thing. We're going to do another one of these episodes. This is uh, Swing Thoughts. I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Remember that? You know, the old two guys talking about nonsense. And now, now I'm working with Tim O'Connor. He's a mental performance coach, golf guy. And uh, now it's still two guys talking about nonsense, except the nonsense is uh, it's golf nonsense. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Great to be with you, as always, young man. Good to see you on this snowy day in the Great White North. Yeah, it was weird. When was the when was the big snowfall that we was that a week ago, a couple weeks ago? I don't know. Yeah, about ten days. No, almost two weeks ago on the on that Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm solidly <laughs> I'm solidly in the pandemic kind of like I don't know what day it is. Is it time to do the swing thoughts? Okay, fine. That must be Friday. Um, lots of catch up on uh, Great to be with you uh, If you're listening to us uh, for the first time This is kind of a, a light approach to a heavy subject And uh, we get we reach out to uh, people from all over the world uh, People have become buddies of ours through this program And, you know, someone asked me the other day Do you guys ever talk about golf technique and, and things like that? And I said, you know what? <clears throat> from time to time we might pass on a little Nugget, but mostly we like to talk about some of the deeper issues surrounding the game because, I know, and I think Timmy, you agree with this. Not many men like to discuss these kind of things because they're a little bit soft and they're a little bit feeling. But in actual fact, it turns out, and our guest uh, will confirm this, it turns out that a lot of what goes wrong with golfers physically has its origins in how we approach the game mentally. Well, everything starts in the brain. I mean, everything we do starts in our brain, and you know, of course, that's where that's where our thoughts come from. And so, I kind of think you know, we're talking obviously to the converted here. That when we talk about the mental game, it's not something that's separate from the physical game. It's all integrated, and I think that's sometimes where people mis misconstrue these types of things to think of, well, I'm going to go work on, um, you know, my lag or something like that, some physical thing. And then, oh, then I'm going to learn how to uh, say concentrate. I think it's all integrated. It's holistic. And when you start to get a sense of how it all works together, um, I think that's when your game can start to take, um, take a leap. Um, yeah. Well, and it's funny because um, let's get right to our guest. He's a friend of the show. Uh, I've, I think I started working with this gentleman before we ever had him on as a guest because I think he and I predate you and I in terms of the show because Sean Casey said, hey, you should talk to this guy. You know, he said it kindly, like, you know, you do with a three-legged dog. You think, hey, <laughs> you really, <laughs> you're you're suffering. You should talk to this guy. And uh, I did. In 2014, he started making a difference in my game. For many years, he's made a difference in the game of uh, amateurs and professionals alike. He's too shy to tell you all the tour players he works with. But trust me, some of the people you see on TV on the weekend are clients of our guest today. Uh, super friend of the show, Paul Dooland, D-E-W-L-A-N-D. Look at that sweet face. Look at that that angel from uh, now living in uh, the epicenter of nonsense. Welcome to the program. Well, I've, been, I've been called a, what did you call me, super friend? Super, super friend of the show. That reminds me of that cartoon show we probably watched growing up. <laughs> Batman and Superman yes, and all them collaborating. 
Okay. I don't want to start talking about who's Batman and who's Robin. Uh, Doolin, I, I just want to get right to this, and, and I, I hadn't told Tim what, what I thought would be a fun subject for us, but first of all, I hope your your your, your family is safe and, and well and, and... All and good. Good. All good here down, down here in the uh, Petri dish, yeah. COVID Petri dish in Florida. Yeah. Stay away from rallies. That's all I want you to do. <laughs> so <clears throat> what I thought would be a fun... Just to and, and Tim, I'm sure you've got stuff you want to chat with with Paul, but I, I've been thinking about the nature of suffering. I, I threw it out there a second ago, and I, I wrote it down, and I, and I think we can agree that I, I've suffered, Timmy has, we call it golf hell, and a lot of the people that you work with, Paul, professionally and amateurs, are in a state of suffering. Why is it that golf produces this kind of mental anguish, and I, I'm not overstating it, why does it do that, and maybe why... A second question would be why? Why more than other sports? But let's just start about the nature of golf suffering. So <clears throat> let's let's throw uh, some distinctions in. So uh, Howard or, or Tim, I'm not sure if I've ever talked with either of you about this, but do you know the difference between pain and suffering? Uh, for twenty points, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think suffering is. Something you create in your head because you're craving something, you want things to be a certain way, and pain is actual, uh, could be either physical or emotional pain. You feel sadness or grief. Um, anyways, uh, anywhere near the bullseye? I didn't know there was going to be homework. I had my hand on my buzzer, by the way, just in case I didn't. If you wanted us, to, if you wanted us to buzz in for the lightning round, I'm ready. So, you, didn't, you didn't give me the topic for today, so I'm going to th- throw you guys on your heels. A bit. I, I, there was no, first of all, there was no topic. I just thought, you know, I, I've been thinking about the nature of suffering in no, general. This is, this is super cool. This is super cool. So what is the difference between pain and suffering? All right. So as, as it relates to golf, because we could get pretty philosophical about this, as it relates to golf, what we intend is for the ball to go where we, or, or sorry, what we want is where the ball, to, for the ball to go where we want, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we set up as our desire or our intention. Whether it goes there or not, it's like it went where I want. That's good. It didn't. Okay. That's pain. Ouch. I don't like it. Okay. Same with physical pain. I prefer someone not to stab me with a pin, but if they stab me with a pin, ouch, I don't like that. There's pain. But then there's suffering is the resistance of the pain. And this is where, you know, the anguish you talked about, I mm-hmm. think that's the basis of that for golf is that, you know, the ball doesn't go where we want. The the inability to just accept that. And I like I like to use the terms instead of like people talk about good shot and bad shot. I try to get people to use the terms yes or no. In other words, yes, the ball weren't, went where I wanted versus no, I didn't. Because if you remove the, the, the preference, which is sort of the ego-based thing, that, okay, I want the ball to go the middle of the fairway. But I'm not going to call it good or bad. It's just, yes, it went to the middle or no, it didn't. And, and look, that's that's a tall order. You have to really work at this. This this is something you've got to put the reps in on. Uh, and this is what I have people do when, when we're working together. It's one of the first things is like, you know, okay, what are you, what are you going to do first? Like, you know, go practice. And when you practice, instead of saying that was really good, don't use the word good. Say, yes, that were that went where I intended or no, it, it did not. And And... When you really get into it and take the the mindset that it's like you're not even trying to accept that it goes where it, wa- it goes want, where you want or not, it it's just oh it it went there or it didn't. 
Because if to accept means now I'm already resisting, now I have to overcome my resistance, and that's just another tangle, tangled web to go into versus, oh, no, that didn't go where I want. Um, I just want everyone to take a note here. Yes, no, not good or bad. Um, you know, it's interesting that you came right into that because the one of the things Tim and I have talked quite a bit about lately in various shows is not taking shots <clears throat> personally. It's in the taking everything personally, and I can tell you from experience, because I used to take it very personally when I would hit a bad shot. Now, not so much, but recently I was playing last couple months with somebody, and I got mad after a shot, and they said, oh, I thought you didn't get mad anymore. I said, no, no, no. I said, don't don't confuse this. I can still get mad over a shot. The, someone picked me, pricked me with a pin. It hurt. It's the... What do I do with it then? It's and I and I said to him, things can sting, and I, well, I've said this to Doolin before. Things sting, but the secret is have is that they don't stay. Because with me before, is they would stay, they would sting and stay and sting and stay. And I was in this. Whereas, yeah, I can get mad at a shot. I can even throw my club. But the next moment, I've moved on. I'm no longer suffering. The continual pain, which is what I think a lot of golfers do. Timmy, you, you must see it when you work with people. It's the continuation of their suffering that brings them down. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's really what we're talking about in many ways is, is can we be present to what's happening and not judge it? Just like that is what it is. It's when I judge a situation, oh, that didn't go where I want to do. It should have gone here. That's suffering to me, is because we're not we're not grasping what reality is. Reality is just what happened, and I love that what you talked about, yes and no, because that's non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Is that the is, well? Is that, how does that judgment thing work into what you're talking about? But, but wait, Tim, like it is it is great because it's a, a yes or no um, adjudication of what happened isn't judging your personal skills, right, Polly? Yeah, if we take <clears throat> assessment, is yes or no. I'm assessing the shot versus judgment, which is, which is based in a preference, which is good or bad. So again, we're wordsmithing here and this is probably getting a bit heady, but, but it's, it's really, you know, can you remove your preferences from the whole thing and, and just have an intention? That's again, that's super challenging. It's, it's, you know, we, the whole golf culture is centered around the, the language of good. Oh, it's a good shot. Nice swing. Yeah, um, and it's all about outcome stuff that we don't directly control. So, you know, the way that most golfers are conditioned, you're, they're sort of inoculated into that mm. that culture when they first start playing. You know, if you're a kid, you're around a bunch of adults and say, "Great shot, nice shot." So it's 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 embedded in the culture. It's not going away. So, you know, to do this work, you know, on our own is is it's it's a lonely pursuit sometimes. Yeah, and that's why. That's why. Well, you need you need a coach or someone who can kind of give you some feedback or or watch what's going on for you. Oh, you know, you can make, you know, oh, I, I should have done this. I should have done that. Oh my God! You can have someone say, well, maybe it just went where it went. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe the best way you can respond is just to just be be like okay with it. The the thing that you're you're absolutely right about the culture we're in. Everything is set up. That sounds very conspiratorial, if you will. But, you know, even in marketing, you want to be happy? Buy this car. 
know, you know, right. you want to, you want to be, you you want to be better in all parts of your life, then you need to be wear these clothes. Swing this way, and you'll be happy. You'll yep. get better at golf, and uh, you know that you'll be at the the keys to Nirvana will drop in your lap. It's just that's just not the way the world works, and and we create suffering when we're you know when I get this. When I become a seven handicap, I'll be happy. When I no longer hit a slice, I'll be happy. Well, folks, it, it, you get some of those things and you're still not happy. Of course. And, and, and now that we've established that, we all agree there's suffering in golf. So beside yes, no, can we go back to like, I mean, I don't know if we've done this with you, but we've talked about it with other mental coaches. So somebody's listening now. Um, you know, you've gotten uh, some clients. I know some of the people that you work with, Paul. When you first talk to somebody and listen to the way they talk about golf, even if they didn't know they needed you at the beginning, obviously they think, okay, I need some help. What are some of the things you do when you assess somebody's level of where they are on the sort of anguish scale? Or how do you get started with somebody? Everybody's different. Um, I don't really have a set way of doing things. I mean, I do have a an assessment form that sometimes I'll give people. Uh, but usually it's just a conversation to find out where they're at. And, you know, really, I, I look at what's the gap? What's the difference between their their abilities on the range, let's say, or versus, you know, playing in it or if it's a professional in competition. But for, you know, the average player, it's like, you know, what's the difference between your warm up and what you do on your Saturday morning with your buddies? Um, so if there's a big difference, then, then there, there's something that could be mental. It could be, uh, it could be, you know, process types of things. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It's hard, it's hard to say. Um, so I really can't tell you, you know, I, I don't have a specific format I would follow other than just having a conversation until something sort of pops up. Okay. Well, maybe that was unfair. Uh, I take it back. Um, <laughs> maybe. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what are what are those conversations like? I mean, you know, Tim and I have talked ad nauseum about how humiliation and how humiliating guys feel, and how all their e- all our ego stuff prevents us from maybe being as good as we could if we weren't so, you know, worried about Timmy how other people are seeing us. Even this, <clears throat> you know, I was going to say this when you watch a professional putt. They have a 15-footer, and it's two feet, you know, short or long. What they do is they mark the ball, they line up the two-footer, and they don't care if guys are waiting, and they take their time, and they, they make an effort to sink that putt. The rest of us run up there, and because of this weird peer pressure, we go, well, I guess we better, you know, hit, hit, hit this quickly so that the guys aren't waiting for me. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say perceived peer culture or whatever yes. word it was it's all, we create all this stuff in our heads and that's you know come back to, to what's suffering basically we're all creating our own world of suffering through all these delusions uh, in essence fantasies all most of the stuff that we're thinking of is just oh my gosh it's not connected to reality at all we create our own reality and our own suffering by thinking oh my gosh i i've got this two footer left um, I left it, shouldn't have left it short. The guys think I'm a hack. Yeah. Uh, let's get out of here quick. And you create your own environment. You create your own suffering and you create an environment where you can't execute based on your skills and your experience. Right. Do professionals go through that? Do professionals have some of that 
Paul, when you work with oh, him? Oh, yeah. That's a human, it's a human thing. Uh, profession, to me, to me, the, you don't get rid of it. You, you don't, you, you stop listening to it because the, the, the narrative is going to get triggered. We all have an ego and that's the basis of all this narrative. The, the, when you can recognize it almost as if it's somebody else talking in your head and going, wait a minute. I always, I ask people three questions. Uh, if there's a thought in your head, number one, would you get up in the morning and plan to do, to, to think this way? <laughs> so, you know, That's give great. yourself, give yourself, you know, you, you know what over a bad shot. <laughs> oh, no, you can no, say, you can say shit on this show. Or I not can on say shit on oh, this yeah, show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Even worse. Is, is this, is this oh, still yeah. on the radio? Is this still <laughs> oh, not on no, the radio? We're, we're on the radio from uh, the Masters weekend to Labor Day. This oh, one. okay. Now this okay. little thing is just on the internet where, you know, there's like pictures of naked people. and Oh, right. <laughs> F-bombs are on their place. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so number one, would I get up in the morning and plan to think this way? Right. The answer is no. Number two, would I would I recommend that my friends do this to themselves? So it's like, hey, why don't you give yourself shit about that bad shot? <laughs> why yeah. don't you hit yourself in the shit with your putter? That yes. seems like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and and number three, would you accept it from another person? So if I hit you know if I hit a bad shot and my friend says you're a, you're a friggin' tool, like yeah. I would I would I be would I accept that from them? Would that be would I view that as helpful? So then that's 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 a really good way to calibrate whether or not these thoughts are actually yours because the, the thoughts that are yours are the ones that make sense. But when the ego gets triggered, it sort of hijacks the mind. Exactly. I use this little metaphor that, you know, if someone stole your cell phone and started texting all your friends with all sorts of <laughs> caustic comment, um, and they're sitting there thinking that it's you because it's coming from your phone. Well, the same thing, these thoughts come from our mind, but it's not us using our mind. Mind is being used by these compulsive thoughts from the ego. Exactly. And I know this is getting a little again no. woo woo. Don't excuse no, me. not at all. This is, this Just, you're right. You're, you're hitting our sweet spot. You're preaching to the choir, brother. Okay, but <laughs> brother Paul so, Doolin. <laughs> so if we if we look at it this as a an exercise not to get rid of stuff because if you're trying to get rid of it, that's suffering. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a bunch of resistance versus oh there's a there's a thought is that something I really want to listen to just just like you know we've all been around people who are you know thirty handicaps and they're giving you swing advice and you're just smiling and nodding and going yeah thanks appreciate it and you just kind of let it roll by you and to to be able to start to get some space between you and those thoughts that will occur in your mind you don't get you can't get rid of them oh exactly. Yeah. And and so it's like being being in a place where you can be aware that it's not yours. Um, so I I use the term compulsions that the, these these yeah. are compulsive thoughts because they're not deliberate they're not consciously produced by you, and and that's that's where that's a real leverage point for the freedom. Again, I want everybody to really get this. You can't stop the thoughts from occurring. They are right. going to get triggered. Um, you have to recognize whether or not that's yours or whether that's just a a product of your environment. I, I have this thing that uh, I, I talk about with my kids when they were little. One day they were doing something, kids, I think they were writing on the wall or something. Mm. And they were, they were really young. And I, I walk in the room and I'm like, God damn it. And they looked at me like kind of startled. And, and it was, I was like, oh shit, what did I just do? Exactly. Um, and I realized that, you know that that tone 
that words that you know the goddamn it the tone everything it's exactly what my dad would say mm-hmm. when i did that stuff so in in fact i inherited that thought and i'm not blaming my dad obviously he probably got it from the same source it's probably seven generations old but i i got i recognized that it's like wait a minute i didn't invent that i didn't sit there and say you know what goddamn it's a great idea and then that right. tone is not mine you didn't it's, wake it's, up in the morning going i know what i'll do i'll scare the shit out of my kids and yeah, they, when they do kid and, stuff. And they will be scarred just like I am. Yep, they're laughing, having fun with their crayons, and I'm going to ruin their day. That's a great idea. All right. Yeah. Well, well, a few minutes ago, the, the key word, I think, for, for this topic is you said when you're aware. <laughs> and that's the struggle that people have is that they're not aware that their thoughts are just thoughts. They're just stuff that comes up. The metaphor I use is that it's like bubbles in a champagne glass. Where do they come from? They just keep coming and coming and coming. And they come from, cool. as you just talked about, from genera- our, our past. You know, our, our brains are past-based machines. And all this stuff, the emotions, the traumas, the feelings, the memories, this stuff comes up. It's like, I know, we've all had times in which we say something where this goddamn, we go, that was my dad's voice. That's not even me. Like, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. But it's like, but our thoughts get away on us. It's like this, the, you know, the, the horse that gets out of the barn. And so, to come back, so yes, our, we have all these thoughts, but our thoughts are not, they're not real. They're just stuff that comes up. Yes, it's linked to past and, and all this stuff. So how do, we, how do we stop it? And that's, are we aware of them? Well, are we, <clears throat> can we practice awareness? And I'll just finish by saying uh, the key piece is to, is, is to kind of, oh, I'm having that thought. I'm observing it. It's like I'm witnessing it. And that, that way I can start to distance myself from it and go, that's just a thought. That's not... That's not who I am. That's not what's happening. Let that go. You know, if one thing uh, Paul said a couple minutes ago, and I think it would help, you know, I'm not going to answer for you, but made me think of what you're saying, Tim, is that you have to rep the mental stuff just like you have to rep your golf swing. In 100%. fact, more importantly, you can rep the mental stuff while you're playing the game. Because that's where you taught me. That's where I learned it. The unconscious competence of the things I do now that are now six years old of things we talked about in August of 2014 and things that I've, you know, talked about with Timmy and others as well. But it's a, it, you need to have strategies so that when those things come up that are knee-jerk, egoic, you know, reactions, you have a way to work with them. And I, I know some of the things that that you first taught me that I still do today. I used to walk down the fairway with my head down, self-flagellating in between shots about what a piece of shit I was, you know. And, uh, and that wasn't serving me so well. And one of the first things uh, Doolin taught me is eyes up, tits up. Like, I just, st- I made it a habit, no matter what happened that I that no matter what shot I hit, I was going to walk with my head up in uh, along the horizon. Now it's I a just practical skill. This is our point, and that's why I wanted to jump in, Timmy, because all we're saying, it, yeah, we all agree that we have suffering and that our parents, you know, we're all our fathers. But there are techniques mm-hmm. that I love. the The thing that I love about this work is that you can do it while you play. So maybe we can... Again, I didn't mean to put you on the spot in terms of practicality, Paulie. But a little thing like what I just mentioned about 
you know, or Carl Morris's whole idea of, you know, 10 steps from the shot. You have 10, you can, you know, be pissed off for 10 stops. So what do you, do you have some of those that, that people can take away if they're, they're thinking about how I get started doing this? Yeah, I I think the best place to start with these sorts of things is with the body because the the mental and emotional patterns have uh, are habituated in our physiology. So, um, just if you just go online and Google like progressive relaxation as an example, and and there's all sorts of things out there probably on YouTube that someone would talk you through a a, a process of releasing tension from your body. Mm-hmm. Or learning how to breathe diaphragmatically. Yes. Um, so this, the physiology piece is it's really interesting. The how this all ties in. Most of the time, people will say, "Okay, so I'm going to learn to breathe so I can calm down." That's that's okay. That's that's the right idea in one way that I I want to calm down. But if I'm resisting whatever state I'm in, then I'm going to actually make it worse because I'm again, you know. The suffering comes from the resistance. Mm-hmm. And if human beings are, you know, the only species that can be aware of their emotions and resist them. And that's a mess. So when you release tension from your body, when you breathe, when you keep your head up, your eyes up, uh, like, like you were saying, you use that to get into a place of acceptance of what's there versus using it to resist what's there. Now, that, that might sound a little tricky, but you're not trying to breathe to calm down. Right. You're breathing to get yourself to the place where you can just be, again, as Tim said, aware of what's there and accept what's there. That's lofty as hell, but that's the work. That's that's what works. Well, and it's kind of what I said about learning to not take every shot so personally. Sometimes, you know, it's just a shot. And my buddy Marty Chuck always says that, you know, it's like. You know, sometimes you're the fly, sometimes you're the windshield. And you can say that for rounds of golf, but you can say that for shots of golf. Because as soon as the ball is released, you know, we've all been programmed through thousands of repetitions to instantly make an assessment. And what you said to us at the beginning of this about reconfiguring that assessment, that's kind of the work that you guys, you know, both do in terms of having golfers learn to reassess and reconfigure the way they approach it, Timmy. Yeah, and it's all, it's practical skill. Yeah. It's not woo-woo. It's not, you know, going up through the ooze to have tea with Buddha. It can be that. But the thing that, it, that really what we're talking about, this aware, these What exactly does that mean? What ooze is there? <laughs> Sorry. I can't, well, I, with, that, I can't with good conscience let that go. There's an ooze you got. Is there an elevator that goes through the ooze? Please continue. Well, I think what we're going to get to. So I, in, in my <laughs> webinar, I do this webinar. Uh, Called what? Transitioning through the ooze? Is that the name of it? That's a metaphor. That's what I was talking about. That's what our webinar should be called. Tumble and Tim, transition through the ooze. (laughs) I'm never coming on the show again. No, please, please, never leave. Use a hand sanitizer. Never leave. Do it. Yeah. (laughs) Please continue, Timmy. I'm sorry. No, what no, what I'm we're talking about is that when you start talking about some of this stuff, yes, you're gonna have got, you're gonna have people going, well, they're talking about weird shit. Bam, but not listen to this. Or or if they start talking about meditation, I'm out of here. Meditation and this what we're talking about has a really bad PR problem. People perceive it to be, Paul. You said I used to say it all the time. Woo woo. 
This is weird shit. You can see it that way, you know, spirituality, all that. I view it as practical skills. What am I paying attention to that's going to benefit me or serve me? So in if I'm, you know, I hit a, a golf shot that I don't like and I'm tromping down the ferry beating the living crap out of me, that's not going to serve me. The same thing if I'm standing in line at Tim Hortons and the line's going really slow and I start to think, God, if she'd only just quick up the pace and I find myself getting angry, that's not going to serve me either. So what can I do? I could start, oh, I could focus on my breath and just feel it. Just feel my breath. Or I can just start looking around and just being aware of the signage, all this stuff, what I'm hearing. And now everything, the tension just starts to seep away mm-hmm. because I'm connecting to my body. The, th- the thing about that, that's using our senses in, in the skill of awareness is that our body's always in the present moment. That it hasn't, that Star Trek time travel thing, you know, beam me up, Scott, it doesn't work yet. So when we focus on our body, we gradually just come out of our thoughts into our body in the present moment. And that, to me, is a practical skill you can use in golf, mm-hmm. deal yep. with the teenager, the kids writing on the wall, anything. You know, Paulie, I read this article this week. Uh, I, I was just trying to find it, actually. It, 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 it's all about how to breathe. And I thought, you know, isn't that interesting that they're now, and I'm not. it's not now. It's, they've been doing research into how our breath affects us mentally. But and what it does to calm the um, autumn is it autumn? I always get this wrong. Autonomic, autonomic nervous system. But w- one of the things I took away from the article, I was just trying to get the ex- exact quote, is that you know there are many types of breathing, and we've talked about this about you know chest breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. But there's also a breathing in terms of breath in and breath out that has a very different effect on the way you you are reacting to something mentally and very briefly it's just this no matter what you do on the intake as long as you uh, as long as your breath out is longer than your breath in you yep. are you are calming your nervous system yes speak about that a little bit speak sp- first of all if you want to comment on ooze you're more than welcome to but <laughs> <laughs> but but if you want to get right to the breathing portion of this program feel free Okay, so we'll get a bit of sciency here. Yeah, the, uh, the autonomic nervous system is split into two parts: sympathetic and parasympathetic. Right on. The sympathetic nervous system is is the part that's responsible for our fight or flight reaction, which is what you know. Basically, you get pissed off at golf. That system is operating. The other side is is parasympathetic. That's rest, digest, recovery. Um, where relax is another you know sort of thing that goes in there. That side of the nervous system is the opposite. So those two things are sort of um, one is on and the other is off. So when you're at, you know, at night, you're going to sleep, you know, parasympathetic, we want that kicked in. But if you're lying there in bed, you know, thinking about your round from the day, you've got sympathetic triggered because you're thinking about the bad shot and you're, you know, you've got an internal dialogue that's not necessarily all that pleasant. Um, so your heart rate's racing and you're lying in bed. You're totally safe, but you're you're reacting to thoughts. So when we inhale, the sympathetic part of our nervous system, the inhalation is triggered. So if, if, if actually, if, if, if everyone would just um, put their finger on their pulse point on their wrist or on their neck, and if you take a big inhale after a second or two you'll notice that your heart rate increases and then as you exhale 
that your heart rate decreases. And this this is actually healthy. So your heart rate's not constant. It's not, you know, if you're, you know, beat 100 beats a minute, it's not constant. It's probably going up to 120 down to 80. Um, and that's healthy. You want that variation. So a longer exhale, the longer you exhale, the more time parasympathetic or the rest digest part of you is is activated. So, but but the, the key is that this, you can't do, it's not a chest breath. If you breathe up into your chest, it, it doesn't work because the key is not so much the breath, it's the movement of the diaphragm that stimulates something called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is what's interconnected with all of this this stuff. And you know they say what happens in the vagus nerve stays... <laughs> I just knew that. Could just, you just oh, right. That uh, you know what? I'm just trying to keep things light and bouncy. Um, please Impossible. continue. Please continue Impossible. with your, your discussion of the vagus nerve. <laughs> so, the, anyways, the so the movement of the diaphragm is what yes. stimulates the system. So it's it's one thing. Someone says, "Take a deep breath." If you breathe up into your chest, you're probably going to make things a bit worse. So, you know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, Googling diaphragmatic breathing, um, there's probably all sorts of stuff like yoga instructors that would, would have some great advice as to what to do with that. Well, I'm going to tell you, the uh, the guy that I, I, t- I was taking classes last uh, before the, the pandemic um, down the street from me, I take yoga. And, and one of the instructors one day, the guy I hadn't seen before, the way he described breath when we were laying there was belly, ribs and chest in that order. And when yes. you're laying yeah. on your back and you can, you, you, and it's weird because eventually you're going to fill your chest cavity. What we're talking yeah. about, folks, is most people do that first. They go <gasps> into their breath. And that's that sort of, it, it does the opposite of what we're talking about. But if you can go through that rolling belly, ribs, rising chest kind of breath, it's almost like a wave. And it's funny, uh, until I had taken his class, I was like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Timmy, what did yeah. you want to say? Well, this is so cool because it links into what I've been ex- experiencing the last couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, so I play in a band. I uh, sing backup, but I, I want to sing better. So I started taking uh, singing lessons two weeks ago. And we in our last session with our my, my coach, Laura Bailey, it was working on on pushing the diaphragm down by and feeling kind of like the bottom of my ribs stay out. And as I was singing, it was just like, Wow, this is so much easier. So much easier. It wasn't like having to force it and just the pitch was better, yeah. all that good stuff. And as I was experiencing how using my body more skillfully was really helping. And I could see how this would link into everything. So it's so cool how all this works. And uh, I got to look up the Vegas. Well, I, I, you know, Timmy, I, over the years, you know, you know, I, I've been. By the way, it's Vague V A G U S. All right, just relax. No one cares. Well, just for the listeners, it, not I, for you, no, even the listeners don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trust me, I, I've been talking for a living since I was 17 years old, and I thought I knew what I was doing. But you know, I, I basically was working in studios where my headphones were too loud, and you know, radio, you're talking pretty close to the microphone. And it wasn't until, this is quite recently, within the last 10 or 15 years, that I met a, a vocal coach who, who took me on as a client. And what he did is he came and watched me on the air. He could just see the way I was sitting, the way I, I was holding myself, the way I was breathing. And, and I get excited and talk in my throat. And at the end of the show, I'm, I'm raw. And, and he told me the same thing. And, and I find myself 
every once in a while checking in on where the breath is coming from. And and what we're talking about here for golfers is if you take nothing away from today other than the yes, no, and the Vegas joke, take away this. What's that and what? And the ooze. And the ooze. And we're going to, I will make sure I'll never forget that. But take away this, that your breath can really help you navigate, you know, the suffering of the game of golf. Uh, We're going to wrap up uh, with Mr. Doolin. So what is uh, life like? I know you and I have spoken. What, how the pandemic is on, it's still raging down there, but professional golf continues. So you told me recently when we checked in on, with each other that your your job has kind of been the same. You're on Zoom calls with players. I, is it weird or is it just kind of business as usual for you? No, it's business as usual. I don't travel right now. Uh, two events, that's the only difference. Um, <clears throat> but other than that, I mean, I've, I've done this for a long time. I'm sort of you know, a veteran at, at using the internet. I mean, I used Skype for a long time and then, you know, discovered Zoom when everybody started to use it more com- more commonly. And it was like, this is way easier. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, you had the same thing, Tim? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were doing, we were doing Zoom, Timmy, until you oh, discovered. Yeah. No, we were doing Skype, Tim. For the first two years of the show, you're the one that brought Zoom to the table. Yeah, Zoom sweet is, man. Zoom is, uh, yeah, Zoom is very cool, and this is—we're not endorsing this, folks. If you want to use it, go ahead. But Paul, have you noticed that the type <laughs> of work that you're doing with the clients is that different at all? Mm, no, no, it's really golf is golf. Um, it's sort of nice. It's it's golf isn't a bit of a bubble. Um, it's not as affected as an industry as as well as you know play. Um, as, as anything else is because it's all outdoors and, and it's, you know, this, there's social distancing for the most part. So let me ask this then. Okay, so the pandemic's been raging on since, gosh, springtime. We're in winter now. Um, how are your players coping with things like being in a bubble? They, they can do certain things. They can't do certain things. You know, when they're at a tournament, they can only, say, have dinner with their uh, caddy. And how are they dealing with that type of stuff? Uh, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, um, I bet. They're, they're, you know, I, I have players and coaches that they they get really lonely out there. Yeah. Um, that's that's part of the challenge. The other thing is, um, I have two girls on the LPGA this week. Um, that both, so one girl's boyfriend who she lives with, um, was going to caddy for her. Her regular caddy couldn't make it. So her boyfriend was going to caddy, but he and he's a caddy, but his player isn't in this event in Dallas this week. So she, she he had a false positive test, and one of the girls I work for, uh, work with a Korean girl, uh, had a false positive. They both had to go through two more tests to get negatives, and it's like they they were not none of them were symptomatic, but they couldn't they couldn't go on the property until they had those tests. They yeah. didn't get practice rounds in. And and again, that's part part of the. I, I know these tests aren't perfect or anything, but it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of false positives with those. Uh, I think um, Cameron Champ had one, yeah, quite a quite a while back, and I, fact, I, I've heard I, lots of stories. One of the male, one of the tour players this week actually made me think of uh, somebody this week went through that. I can't remember. Maybe it was a European tour player, but that's an interesting question that Tim asked you about. Okay, golf aside. 
you know, what's it like for these players of yours? And I, and I can see that they're, yep. you know, I, I the loneliness. You know, I, my my brother uh, is, is a television producer and he lives in Edmonton. And when the NHL players were bubbling in Edmonton or whatever, and, and they were their lives were just basically hotel rink rink, you know, hotel game yep. day, and it was just an endless loop of, and, and, and you know, we're not. I didn't. I don't think enough people have been talking about this about what these professional athletes. Yeah, yeah. listen, because it seems trite and considering what other people are really suffering with. But in the world of sports, it's definitely been a paradigm shift for everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, everybody's still adjusting to it. Um, I, I just personally, socially, I'm just seeing people start to get careless with it. It's like, yeah. You know, nobody's staying six feet apart anymore in the grocery store. It's just, you know, you walk by, you try not to bump into people, but people, you know, break that six foot range all the time. Uh, well, you're in Orlando. Were people wearing masks indoors? Yeah. You, you know, what you see in the in the press coverage um, is, is probably on the fringe. It's it's very respectful for the most part. Good. I think if you get to the, out, you know, it's like anywhere you get to the outer regions outside of the bigger cities and you start to see some different things. Sure. But no, it's been, you know, I, I think I've seen th- in, in this whole thing, the last six, seven months, I think I've seen three or four people in the store without a mask on. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that because boy, the numbers are not good for the country you're in right now. No, it's just getting, no, worse. it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, and that's, you know, again, people. Oh, we had a little freezing there. Polly froze. There he goes. Okay. Oh, did I did it break up? That's okay. Um, listen, Paul Doolin, uh, if you want to know more about him, and, and I can't imagine you wouldn't, go to <laughs> go to, go to pauldoolin.com. If you go there, you'll see uh, some cool stuff. Uh, you'll see Paul and... Uh, and it's good. It's all good there at pauldoolin.com. Yeah, I also uh, want to make a, an interesting note here. I think yes. this is really cool, Paul, because this is a milestone show for us. This is show what? 150. This, this is? is? 150. Yes, Ho- it is. Hold on a second. This is 150 and Paul Doolin's our guest? <laughs> exactly. And Paul Doolin was the guy who, I mean, if the, probably the most influential person for me to make the transition I did to becoming a coach. Like, Paul, oh, you, were the, cool. you you and I worked together for a while, and I learned so much from you, so I have so much gratitude to you. So um, I just think it's uh, wonderful the way it worked out. That's that, awesome. That you ended up being on um, our 150th show. Well, I wow. might get, they, well I, I will echo those comments. I might get a little emotional. Ooze aside, I might just begin. It might... I might ooze from my eyeballs. Uh, I so this is show one hundred and fifty. Well, I, I would say the same thing. You know, we as I mentioned in the program, you and I met before Tim and I met, and uh, yeah, it's made a huge difference. And and your friendship and your and uh, your constant uh, criticizing of me as a, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doodles. We appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. All stay the best, safe, man. Yeah, stay safe yeah, and, and healthy. And uh, we, I, you know, obviously, we're not going to have you on before Christmas because we. I think we only have like well, two more shows. But Merry Christmas! Have a great holiday season, and uh, we'll get to the end of this at some point, and be we'll be hugging and high fiving and taking flags out of holes. And I don't mean that <laughs> euphemistically, you bastards. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. Yeah. There's Paul Doolin. See, leave meeting. There you go. Just click it. Where he goes. 
Yeah, we got to get. Uh, I got to uh, get you to turn the volume up on your mic too, because they, you're you're fine. But we, I think I need a little bit more. Um, that was great, by the way. And you know when I say uh, going through the ooze to Nirvana, I just love that stuff. You know me. <laughs> no one is more esoteric about this shit than I am. Yeah, absolutely. I love no, it. It's just a, I, um, so the obedience training for your brain webinar that I do. I use you know you know how this, I'm sure in your stand up or different thing when you do keynotes, you have certain lines that just kind of <laughs> yeah. really work. Oh so yeah, this is the, this is the what I use all I the time. It. You know, I so it, um, because it's you know as Paul said not. Uh, and he talked about it. This is getting kind of heady and woo-woo. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I've told you before. I don't know why we do that. People accept I, well, it. Well, it's because we're because because this stuff has a bad PR problem. Yeah, well, I, people you don't know, a lot of people don't understand it, and they think it's weird shit. I, and I, 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 and I disagree completely. I just think it's very practical. I yeah. think it's very good to know as I'm driving a car. What am I paying attention to? Am I paying attention to my phone and the text that? My, that my wife has sent me, or am I paying attention to the road? Am I paying attention to the thoughts about beating the living crap out of me because I launched yet another one dead left into the woods? <laughs> I, I would just submit this to you that you're, that we're all products of our environment, and depending on the environment you occupy, in my environment, yoga, meditation, you know, these kind of conversations aren't woo-woo at all. In fact, uh, I, it, and I think most of the people listening to this program know as a default that you and I are believers in all things oozy. You know, here's the thing I wanted to talk about. And that's a doozy. A doozy. You know, and, and we've only got a couple more minutes. I would just, uh, again, finish off by saying there is a practicality and a repetition just like any other part of the game. You know, I've... I've been in so many situations in the last five or six years since I met Doolin and I met you and we've done this show where I go, oh, this situation is like another situation that I've been in and this is how I reacted before and now I'm going to react differently. And and it's just because you brought it up and I loved it that there it's a thing that you can rep. I've repped and repped and repped enough of these behaviors that some of them have become default behaviors. But it took time. Just like if you're learning how to hit a shot, it's going to take some time. And that's what I would say to people. Give yourself some time for these habits to become part of what you do on the golf course. Absolutely. And that's why I invite people, particularly now, and the golf season's coming to an end in in, uh, in in Canada where we are but you can use this time of year to start developing those muscles of awareness and the easiest way is to do it through meditation oh yeah to just do what they call Vipassana meditation where you would just sit down quiet place I recommend this all the time to people who are new to it set your phone your timer for about two or three minutes and all you do is just focus on your breath and inevitably you'll start to think that's what we do and when you're aware, oh, I'm thinking, you just bring your attention back to your breath. And you just do that for two or three minutes. And once you do that, once you get your reps in doing it, you'll start to find that that you become aware of when your mind starts to go into those places of reactivity or you're not listening to your partner as, as he or she's talking or, you know, I'm getting upset in the, the Tim Hortons, you know, slow drive through line. So you get your reps in, and then you start. Then you can start to notice the change that you don't. 
you know, beat the living crap out of yourself as you tromp down the fairway after a bad drive. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, you and I are both fans of Dan Harris, and I, I know we've talked about him briefly on the show from time to time, but I, 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 I got the app. I think my dog just puked here. Hang on a second. Stan, are you okay? Hang on. Oh, that's not very puked? good. Okay, no. The dog just... <laughs> <laughs> but that's what dogs do. Did, did they, you they, hear, they, did they, you not hear that ridiculous thing that just happened? Um, he was like, yeah, he was like, oh wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, uh, and what I was going to say is that 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 book. I first read the book, and then I downloaded 10% his ten percent happier. So I downloaded his app this summer uh, uh, because Rachel, who is my girlfriend and a uh, also a meditator and a yoga person, she was doing her daily meditations on this app and then there was this 21 day challenge to, to try and do a meditation every day. What I like about it and not that what you described isn't perfectly fine but what Dan Harris has done and there's other ones there's one called Curable as well but they're guided meditations they're about exactly. 10 minutes long they're 15 minutes long if you want and I like them because when you're, you're, you're having somebody sort of walk you through the steps of awareness, and as we found out through many of our guests, Ellen Langer most specifically, awareness is curative. Exactly. What are you? Uh, yeah. What are you going to do? This is our hundred and fiftieth show. I I think I saw that in a note somewhere, but I'd forgotten. Well, let's talk about that. Do? How are you, bud? Congratulations! One hundred and fifty of these. Right back at you. Jeez, um, man. We're coming up. It'll be five years once we get into January. Come five. on. Yeah, yeah, that we've managed to uh, keep this train rolling. We haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> we were so much younger when we met. Exactly. I still yeah. have the magazine article you wrote about me, and I, and I have some great pictures of you and I in the golf course in the early days of tailor-made hats, all proud and everything. All that. Well, you know, yeah. it, it was. I mean, it was just kind of a gift that we had uh, Dooland on because, as I said, he was the guy who. Uh, I got the confidence. I went through through having him as my coach, and then helping me understand how this business works. That that he was a key guy for me taking the okay. I'm I'm going to do this, and mm -hmm. I'm plunged in, and uh, and it started with Sean Casey. He, Sean Casey put us all together. Absolutely, he did. Um, although he didn't put you, he put me and and Paul together. He put you and Paul together, but you. Did you get paid for that article? I think you were getting... It was an article you were doing for money. It, I did it for, for Club Link. For Club I was Link. Doing a, I was doing a series of articles on on coaches and players working together and the process of what they went through. And so so I asked Casey, I said, does he have anyone specific that he's working with? And he says, yeah, um, I'm working with uh, Howard Glassman, a.k.a. Humble Howard. I went, well, that would be cool. And he talked about how you guys had, we talked about what you did for over the course of a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And he said your handicap went from like a four to a two. And so I interviewed you and we kind of like, oh, we kind of mutually went, oh, this is kind of some cool shit. So we had lunch. That's right. And we and we, we, went, we geeked out about all our mental golf books that we had the same. You, you're like, you like Carl Morris too? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. What about what about Fred Shoemaker? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, this is listen, man. I've really enjoyed it, and it's been uh, you know a labor of love. I don't know if people understand. Like, 
and I, and I had this conversation a couple of days ago with somebody who's people are always asking me about podcasting. And I said to this woman, I said, listen, no matter what you are going to do it about, make sure that you're doing it about something you love to do because you will not make any money doing this. Now, you and I love to geek out about golf, and I would do this show. Uh, in fact, we are doing this show for absolutely no remuneration other than some sponsorship clubs, and, and that's great. But, and I mean, you know, you're doing it because it's part of what you do in your, in your, in your Tim world. But still, you know, we're doing this because we like talking about golf in this way, and I would do it just if it was just you and I having a coffee. In fact, we do. Exactly. You know? Well, one of the, th the things that I've connected with, particularly in the, the last couple of years, particularly once I started, I started to do improv. Was I started to understand that I like to perform, and I think what it is, I like to connect. And if it's something that I'm, and I love to connect about stuff that I'm passionate about. There's something I think that we both have. We've gone through some interesting experiences. This game of golf is just cr crazy. We're obsessed about it, and we've had some certain experiences. And we want to share those experiences because that's the win-win. Mm -hmm. He said, we get stuff from, like when you and I talk, I always come away with, wow, okay, cool. What he said, <laughs> I that, we get it. We, and like, how amazing is it that we get to talk to all these cool people from around the world who are experts. So we're able to use what we're passionate about, the skills we have as broadcasters, communicators. And it's just a nice cycle, in essence, of giving and receiving. Absolutely, of this of this stuff, and that's why that's that's the passion part of it. And, and part of what you said there, just to end for me, is that you know one of, one of the cool things that happens when you you know sort of find somebody that you have a lot of shared interest in, and certainly when it comes to this kind of this slice of golf, um, is that you find out that you're not the only one that thinks this. You know, and I've, I've had that. So many guys have said that to us. That's something they heard on the show, whether it was said by you or I or one of our guests. They go, oh, yeah, I, I, I so see myself in that. And that's, uh, you know, that's been worth it for me. I've Listen, I've gotten way more out of this. Uh, thanks to you. And uh, I will wish you all the best. And congratulations on this fine milestone of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always uh, I come right back at you. I remember when we first got going, every once in a while, you would say something and I would respond and your head would just drop. <laughs> it would be like, and then, and then after the show, okay, Timmer, um, Tim, Tim. when I do this, um, you want to keep, don't, don't, I remember, the, <laughs> I remember you, you coming on one show, it's you know, like show four or five or something and go, welcome to the award-winning Swing thoughts, and I went. Well, wait a sec. We haven't won any awards, and and you just go. Oh. That's right. And, and, and the key, the key was, <laughs> don't kill the bit. Yeah, don't don't spit, don't be a bit stomper. Exactly. Don't so actually. You know, on the humble and Fred show, we say don't curb stomp the bit. That's the idea. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is thank you for your patience. No, it's and my your pleasure. Teaching. It's been great being grasshopper to your. Uh, no, please. Broadcast. Uh, elder Obi-Wan uh, listen Tim O'Connor O'ConnorGolf.ca that's how you get a hold of Tim for webinars and coaching and uh, even just for uh, you know for a nice chat uh, Humble and Fred Radio now uh, heard on a bunch of bell stations including the iHeart Radio app and of course our own program uh, Monday through Thursday at HumbleandFredRadio.com and on the Bell Radio Network we'll see you guys in a couple weeks for I guess that will be our last show of 2020. Yes. Okay. Looking forward to it. George Durante lined up. Nice. All right, kids. We'll see you next time. Yeah.
inside 